In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me is not Richard. He's in London or someplace, I don't know, someplace in the U.K. doing something, as he always does. With me is my favorite, second favorite, third favorite, I don't know, I keep can't lose track of him. Uh, Mr. Cal Cooper. Hello, dear boy. How are you? Yeah. You're calling me a boy? <laughs> God, I'm twice, I'm twice your age, young man. Surely that makes you feel better then? No, not quite. No. Oh, Just well, rubs you, it in. <laughs> how are you doing anyway? Good. And we are broadcasting live on uh, TojiNet. Parax, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And, you know, what's really interesting that we, I just, there's this court case going on in the United States, uh, Cal. Do you, mm-hmm. you ever hear of the show Ghost Hunters? Uh, yeah, I think I have, yes. Yeah, well, it's like probably the biggest uh, paranormal show in the, uh, the U.S. Anyways, these two guys, uh, Monts, uh, Monts and Smaller, uh, suing NBC and Pilgrim Films and a whole bunch of them saying that they really came up with the idea before uh, these other guys. So, is it, well, it looks like it's going to go all the way to the Supreme Court, so it's kind of interesting. How well do you think they'll do? <laughs> well, they, they uh, you know, so far all the rulings have gone in front of for the plaintiffs, which is <laughs> pretty good. I mean, that's interesting stuff. I mean, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, we had we had a big, huge. Uh, um, oh yeah, comment on it. I'm sorry, I, I did cut you off a little bit. Go ahead, Cal. No, oh, I was just going to say you can know, like plan to do that. Have you come up with any paranormal stuff first that you think someone's nicked? Well, you know, I mean, I you know, to be honest with you, and and I don't, I know this for a fact. In fact, I had sent uh, a little back. Uh, 97 or 98 before the Ghost Hunter show came out, uh, mm-hmm. Sci-Fi was actually uh, looking for shows, and I had sent um, a treatment for a ghost hunting reality show. Ooh. Oh. But you know what? I know a lot of other groups that did too. So, um. you know, who knows? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's bigger fish to fry. But anyways, who is this gentleman we have on our show today? I'm looking at his picture. He's got a shirt and tie on. He looks like a real... Smart fellow. 
Yeah, yes, he's a good friend and colleague of mine, also in the parapsychology field. Um, I'll introduce him. It's Dr. Matthew Coburn. Hi, Matt. Hi, good evening. Good evening. Is that sounding better? Oh, yes. Loud and clear. Terrific. He's a a good-looking young man, uh, Cal. (laughs) A little more more refined than you, I think. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, it's it's a few years old that picture, but uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I still work out. There you go. <laughs> so, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because uh, really, um, I wasn't. You know, I, I mean, I'm on the side of the pot, you know, pond, United States, and um, you know, I'm not that familiar with you. So, I, I would love to learn more about you. So, there you go. Well, that's um, very polite of you to say so. Um. I well, I've been interested in. You know, the questions uh, only get harder. You know that, right? Yes. Oh, yes. That's, that's <laughs> fine. I, I've been interested in things like, um, for example, consciousness, uh, but also in parapsychology for a very long time. In fact, since I was a teenager, really. Um, in the nineties, I did a masters in cognitive science, which is a sort of mix of psychology, philosophy of mind, artificial intelligence, and uh, there's one more in there, which I can't remember right now, and um, that was basically in in conventional science, but all the way along I've sort of been interested in, in in, in the paranormal phenomena, for want of a better word. I joined the Society for Psychical Research in 1998, um, just before I did my doctorate, again in conventional um, experimental psychology. And when I left uh, the University of Sussex in 2001, I've been doing freelance writing, including bits and pieces, really, in between my sort of day jobs, which have been... Uh, various and, and sundry. I've been doing bits and pieces of research in uh, in consciousness and a little bit of, of uh, writing in parapsychology as well. So, uh, bits and pieces, really. There you go. And and how do you know my good friend? He's my good friend now, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> All through the Society for Psychical Research, I think. When was it, Cal? We met at the uh, Nottingham. Yeah, it's a two thousand nine. Um... Nottingham conference for the SPR. We briefly met, but then uh, had loads of trips and nights out together in Northampton while I was still at the university there. And um, you were trying to get back into the swing of doing some lecturing and stuff. I remember the <laughs> first lecture you did back at the university. <laughs> your mobile yeah. phone just wouldn't keep... Uh, it kept going off during the talk and um, spilt your cup of water <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it, it was um, brilliant. No, we, we've been good friends ever since then. <laughs> But um, um, like uh, like myself, and as we said the other day, most people that kind of start off in the SPR or any psychologists that get involved, they all get in, involved through the original interests of ghosts and um, hauntings, as you did. Isn't that right? Yes, that is pretty much right. I mean, um, when I was a, a kiddie, well, I lived, uh, grew up in a big rambling old country house and although we never really actually saw anything we were all terrified of the the upper floor where we all slept you know like lots of children sort of pulling the covers over our heads and things and um i was fascinated with and fascinated with and terrified by the idea of ghosts from a very young age 
and um, part of that included sort of reading, getting kind of books on ghost stories and hearing various people's you know it's funny isn't it you you sort of talk to people and it's very common that some, a lot of people will come up with something either that they've experienced or that one of their families experienced you, you know what's inter- interesting Matt is I used to serve on the um, uh, on the board of appeals for Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and I sat on the board with uh, you know doctors lawyers parapsychologists not parapsych excuse me psychologists sociologists and they all knew what I did, and they always I had to go early always to tell them what I had transpired since our last meeting, and also they always had me, little stories of their own so I, I think it's it's really interesting that a lot of people do have experiences, but they're they're kind of afraid to talk about them unless the subject is brought up absolutely I think that's very true and I think if I think if people sense that you're not going to take them seriously, then they clam up mm-hmm. Um, but if you're sort of sympathetic, you know, quite often it's an after-dinner conversation. I've heard the most extraordinary things from time to time. It's, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that was really one of the first, the first things that, that got me interested. And also, I think, with ghosts and apparitions, there's the folklore aspect as well. If you grow up in the country, if you grow up in the country, or actually anywhere, uh, especially in England, there seem to be ghosts everywhere and ghost stories. <laughs> haunted castles and cal probably knows more about that than i do but uh. <laughs> but it isn't it interesting too that you would get some of these stories from some of the most unlikely people that you would think yes ab- absolutely i mean it, it's funny some of the people that you'd never think in a million years would have had experiences suddenly say well you know um this happened and that happened and in fact um a, a few years ago now I, I was quite curious because um, the Society for Psychical Research in the 19th century did, did a huge survey. And I did a little questionnaire survey of my own. A little bit was published in the Paranormal Review, which is one of the magazines, of people's experiences. And um, they, weren't, they weren't the most, you, you know, they weren't sort of um, super spectacular but there were some one or two quite interesting experiences came from that and uh, mm. you know it's always interesting listening to listening to a witness talk about their experience the, the one all, who, oh no carry on man. oh I, I was just going to say that um not all of them um you know you know for some of them you can sort of think well maybe there's a conventional explanation for that but for others can actually be quite puzzling and uh, you know um, uh, and you it might be quite difficult to know exactly what it was they experienced or mm. Go, going back to the the un, unlikely people to kind of come forward and um, say that they've had a strange experience D Scott Rogo the famous writer and parapsychologist who I've mentioned before on the show um, in his last interview, which was published in Fate magazine in 1990, he spoke about how when he published um, some of his books, and he published o- over two dozen, I think, in, in total, when he brought up a particular phenomenon, a type of haunting phenomenon or the phone call stuff, he said after he published it, even though he struggled to find the data to actually write the book in the first place and said that it seemed quite rare, when he did publish it and psychologists within the field or sociologists and philosophers actually 
book and read it, they all wrote to him and said, you know, I'm so glad you actually spoke out about these particular types of hauntings because I've had that experience. And it's not until you get something big in the public domain somehow becomes more acceptable for people to talk about it. And these people beforehand that probably weren't listening to you or didn't want to mention that experience have read a book that's available and say, you know, thank you for writing that. I've had that experience. So where you were struggling for data, all of a sudden it comes flocking to you if you get it out in the public domain somehow. But you just got to question whether um, it's people that just want a bit of attention or whether these people are genuine. But a lot of people that came forward to Rogo were psychologists themselves. Yes, I, I mean, in the... The, the small survey that I did, the vast there were a couple of sort of people who returned, you know, things which were pretty much obviously made up. But the vast majority of people, you have absolutely no reason to doubt their sincerity. And of course, you know, as the psychologists, you have to then ask the question: Did what happened? Did the, what they think happened really happen? And all of those questions. But as far as sincerity is concerned, I think most people have these puzzling experiences and they, they, um, you know, they're very curious about them and, and actually quite open-minded too. Mm. What's the most puzzling experience that you've had? Oh dear. Well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about um, what to dis- disclose. I, I've had three or four um, interesting experiences, but I sort of think about repeating them on air in public and I just think of someone you know who's a skeptic maybe going oh well you know you're obviously you've exaggerated that or you've made a mistake or this, this there's this potential yeah. you know what Matthew they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be listening to this show I can tell you that right okay. now you don't have to worry about it okay okay <laughs> I guess I guess you're right well I mean the, the, the thing is too that I think um, that if you have strange experiences that you I, you think of the conventional explanations as well. I mean, people aren't stupid. I think this is one of the things that um, winds me up a little bit about the sort of when you do get very sceptical people on. I think, uh, by the way, it's important to have, you know, to be a critical thinker and not to just accept blindly things that you're told. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But, but both uh, ways. But both yes, ways. Yes, of course yeah. it does. Absolutely. You, you know, you just you know can't just say everything is has a normal explanation because sometimes it doesn't, and, and if you refuse to recognize that there are non-normal or paranormal situations, then you know that's no good either. It's strange though. Um, I was just thinking. Uh, all right, I'll tell you this one, but. Uh, I'll just um, praise it by saying that I'm not holding this up as proof of anything, that I might have made a mistake, that there might have been some way that I knew the information subconsciously. Okay? Go for it. Seeing it. Um, I I don't know whether you saw the movie The X-Files 2 a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, Is that the Billy Connolly in? I had a dream the night before. The interesting thing about that movie was there was very little publicity about the plot. And I'd seen one trailer on YouTube. Uh, the night before, I had a dream about, um, basically, it was, it was rather a gory dream. This, um, this, it's very strange. There was sort of a skull on a kind of wire, and its eyes were moving in a very funny way. And then I actually dreamed of um, Mulder coming in with a, 
wielding a, a big spanner over his head or something. And um, I woke up, it was quite disturbing, and I woke up feeling quite disturbed for some reason, and I thought this is ridiculous. I hadn't had a, I used to have nightmares like that when I was a kid, but they were very rare. And um, the next day, I, I had went on a trip to Brighton, and I went into the cinema to watch The X-Files 2, and blow me down if it wasn't about a head transplant, and there was a bloke's head on a wire, and he moved his eyes in exactly the way that I dreamt it. And Mulder comes in, wielding a spanner over his head. And I just came out of the cinema afterwards. I wrote it all down immediately. And I thought, you know, I've read so many accounts of premonitions where people just say they were really freaked out. And um, I was really freaked out. Now, I, you know... Obviously, I can think of conventional explanations, like, for example, with a film, there's lots of ways in information that I could have learned the information subconsciously, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, I accept those. You know, I'm not holding it up as proof. But as far as I know, the specific incidents wasn't it wasn't in the trailer because I checked that. It wasn't reported in any of the literature I remembered reading. And it was a very freaky experience. Mm. And um, at the very least, I think, uh, you, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, I've had a premonition of X, Y or Z and it was very frightening, I can really understand why. Because, I mean, that was just a movie. But if it was a I, I think it was sort of the, the emotional impact of it was really quite strong. And I think it's one thing to sort of sit on your high horse and say, well, you know, you could have made a mistake. And, and it's possible that that I did, but it's another thing to actually listen, listen to a witness yeah. uh, come up with something that actually had a very significant emotional impact on their life. Yeah. And, is, um, you know, I'm not saying this is the big thing of my life, but it, which it wasn't, but at the time it was quite freaky. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of the, the studies that we actually carry out in parapsychology. I mean, usually when someone has a precognitive dream, it's usually of an event that happens involving people around them, but yours was with actual cinema footage as that we'd use to test within the labs where someone goes to sleep and there'll be four target videos that play during the night and one selected as the target and they'll either um, see if your um, dream diary, when you wake up and you actually write down the dreams, matches the target one, or you will go and view all four and just state which one most matches your dream. I mean, if that particular clip from the X-Files was one of your target ones, that would have been absolutely perfect in the laboratory setting. But it's weird that yeah. it, happened, it happened in the natural world setting, that one. Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, like I said, I think it wouldn't have had such an impact if, I, I mean, when I was actually watching the footage, the my emotional state mirrored the dream of the night before. It was very, very, it was like, and, and I think that's what's quite often missing in those laboratory tests, actually. Um, you've, in those tests, they, um, generally, it's like Cal said, you sort of, whether you're doing a test for telepathy or precognition, you have to match up your experience to a piece of film. And, but quite often the emotional impact just isn't there. Mm. And I think quite often when you look at spontaneous cases, um, Louise Ryan, for example, she collected an awful lot of them in the States. Mm. Nine times out of ten, the well, maybe not that often, but a lot of the time the um, spontaneous cases have a very strong emotional 
um, content to them. Yeah. So, well, so do you want an explanation for what happened to you? So go on then. <laughs> <laughs> Let me throw this out to you. If, if we believe that time happened all at once, correct? If you go with okay. that theory. You know, I'll go on that to the purposes right. of the argument. And, and so if there is, for instance, a folder or some type of a, a portal in this timeline and we're in an alpha state or where we're sleeping and somehow we are able to open that portal or go through that portal, you know, we could come to a time where you are in a theater watching this movie. And therefore, you saw it, or, or even well, I could even get, get another explanation, but that's okay. Uh, but I mean, so that's 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 a far out possibility. But you know, it, that's something that makes you think, and that's sort of support. Another one, of course, would be that you would be uh, basically in some type of an astral projection, and you. Uh, intermingled with some mind that had already seen the movie. So, I mean, if you want to go into the paranormal, there's like totally all kinds of weird explanations for stuff. And, and I, are they I, real or not? We don't really know. But I, I uh, there's certainly explanations. Astral projection to someone who's actually already watching the film and it kind of yeah. comes back to your dream. I do like that one. That is. I, well, I like yeah. the first one. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, if if we're going to look, let's face it, we don't know what the hell we're doing in in the the what the paranormal is. We have we haven't even scratched the surface, so we can't explain all the things that are going on. So we we come up with theories, and uh, some theories are good, and some of them maybe not so good, but they're all theories, and and it may be things that we can't even understand, but unless we even think about them, then they'll, we'll never understand them. So it's always good to entertain other thoughts anyways. Hmm. How would you view it, Matt, as, as a consciousness researcher? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just blew that out. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Um, no, no, it's cool. Um, I will say that the um, at the com same conference that I met Cal Cooper at, I remember having a conversation with a psychologist who just done um, I think it was sort of precognitive remote viewing or something like that. And he just blew his top at the idea that we might get information from the future. Uh, um, it, it's strange. I think there are lots of unknowns here. Um, I don't think we really understand time. Exactly. Um, I, I, it's very... Uh, the problem, the thing about precognition is that it runs into all sorts of very awkward questions about the future, for example. I mean, does if you can foresee the future, does that mean the future's set? You know, that's the sort of the deterministic idea. Does that mean that um, you're, you know, if you see something's going to happen to you in the future, that you're fated to go towards that? Well, that's, you, th you think about you, it. A very you throw, scary, in, you throw yeah. in the idea of multi multi timelines. Of course. Well, that's another possibility. Um, we can't rule that out. Um, it's probably better to, to sort of um, talk to a physicist about, about <laughs> that. One. But um, it, it's strange. I mean, I think pre premonitions, are, premonitions are quite, you know, they elicit some very, very, a lot of people find them quite disturbing, I think. 
Um, it's partly maybe because a lot of them are associated with disaster. Um, you know, mm. people sort of having dreams of plane crashes and the, the sort of the, um, I think, uh, some of the Titanic, I think there were records of people having premonitions of the Titanic and things like that. And, um, you know, it, it's it's very it's strange territory. And the short answer is that I have not got a clue. I don't think anyone oh, yeah. does. That's the thing. But we shouldn't stop thinking about it. We shouldn't stop no, of thinking not. of alternate explanations for it. Uh, of, co- of course not. I mean, um, I, I think that's right. But I think equally it, it would be a mistake to sort of plump for an explanation and say that's the right one. I think there are a number of obviously, again, just playing the, the, the boring seat. I think we do have to bear in mind that um, – there are conventional explanations that people are very good at. Um, mm-hmm. you know, mis- I was going to say misunderestimating coincidences and things like that. Um, I think the thing that it's very difficult to judge how probable any single event is and that coincidences do happen. But then mm-hmm. that's a very generic argument, isn't it? And um, if you look at lot of the specific sort of um, premonition stories, some of them do seem to me to be rather specific for that kind of explanation to work. But then, you know, no doubt you'll have a, uh, you know, a sort of sceptic will show me the probabilities of X, Y, Z happening. So, um, but part of the reason why that kind of explanation has force is because a lot of people within conventional science would say that premonitions are very, very unlikely or almost impossible. Although, funnily enough, some physicists do speculate about time travel, so that's allowed for some reason. But <laughs> the thing about premonitions isn't. I, don't ask me why. I thought the classic thing um, with regards to consciousness studies as well, and you, you saw kind of my kind of argument that I put to the uh, lecturers when I did consciousness at Northampton was that um, precognitions, a well-known study of parapsychology and mediums being able to con- uh, um, predict the future events and so on and so forth. But if if precognition is a genuine phenomenon, it does suggest that to a certain extent we can't actually be responsible for our actions because something is already determined in the future and we can't avoid that through our own choice. Yeah, which is one of the other interesting conundrums. Right. I don't, I don't particularly believe that. I believe that we actually determine our future by subtle choices we make every second of our lives. I mean, for instance, why does somebody, uh, only person survive a airplane disaster or only want to die in an airplane disaster because of that particular seat he happens to be in? Is that was that his fate or was did he make that choice for instance he might have been online by an airline ticket and he got a phone call and he went and took the phone call and by the time he got back to the uh airline that the you know that the seat he would have gotten went to someone else or whatever and he got another seat that either saved him or killed him i mean mm-hmm. we make choices all our lives Actually, we're coming up to the breaks, guys, and maybe you can comment on that after the break. Uh, You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, parapsychologist Kel Cooper and New England's own Van Helsing course, Ron Kolick, and our very special guest, Dr. Matthew Coburn, correct? Did I say that correctly? 
Um, more or less, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably less. I never get it. Right? As a parent, as a college, you must, you must I have some kind of a fault in it. Anyways, on Tojinet, uh, Ghost Channel, and Parax and Beyond. We'll be right back with the following messages. So let's do Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parrax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except- so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick on Tojinet, uh, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. If you have any questions for us, you can call in at 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869, or join us live in the Tojinet or the Pararex chat room. So, any thoughts on what I said? Because I can't remember what I said. I'm just going to say first, I love that Adam's family uh, commercial break. It always makes me smile every time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's terrific, isn't it? <laughs> I always I wonder know. what the faces on the uh, older members of the SPR would be like if we played something like that at the conference. Oh, dear. <laughs> Quite a scary thought. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, that, that, um, to go back to what we we were talking about before the um, one of the common things you, um, we tend to discuss in um, basic consciousness studies of psychology undergraduate is this whole idea of um, free will or determinism. And you brought up Ron determinism that you know our actions are determined by things within our environment, and we kind of act on that. that that's kind of the argument. Matt's more better place to kind of um, define the two. How, how would you define free will and determinism, Matt? Could you explain that to us? Well, that, that's a nutty one, uh, a naughty one, rather. Um, <laughs> nutty one, <laughs> nutty one. I've been called um, nutty before, that's all right. <laughs> so, funnily enough, I've, I've got a ch- if I can just do a quick plug, I've got a chapter on free will in my new book. Um, yep. 
but it's more on sort of the conventional um, idea. Free, um, again, it's very difficult to define terms, but I think a good way of picturing determinism is if you think that you live in a world or a universe where there's only one possible future. So, for example, from the time of my birth, I was fated to do this show, and nothing I did were. would ever stop me from doing this show at this particular time. Yep. Um, whereas what free will, the idea of free will is that you do, as you said, um, Ron, that we, we actually do make active choices and that I chose to do this, <laughs> this show. And then if I'd chosen otherwise, I could have chosen not to do the show. But as it was, I obviously made a good decision and I decided to do the show. Oh, I like so that. <laughs> in a nutshell, that's, that's free will. And the interesting thing is that um, in neuroscience at the moment, there are some people who say that we have absolutely no free will whatsoever, that we're basically just robotic zombies that move through life and uh, um, do lots of shopping, basically. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... Um, I, I don't know. I find it a rather disturbing idea myself, and I'm sort of. I think I'm. I, I think I'd rather believe in some form of free will, but with the sort of warning that these terms we use are actually very vague. They're very wide ranging and general. And it's actually very difficult. You, you know, if you sort of look in the uh, what the philosophers say about this. First of all, they've been arguing about free will versus determinism for about two and a half thousand years. And mm -hmm. secondly, uh, no one seems to agree on anything. I mean, that's very common in philosophy, but, uh, but um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it fills up space in a book chapter anyway. So. And you do have a book. So what is this new book you have? Well, I mean, it's um, just to warn you, it's, it's probably about first, first year undergraduate, level, although I do try and explain things, it's called Pluralism in the Mind and it's really about it's really a personal attempt in, in a lot of ways to grapple with the mystery of subjectivity and, and consciousness and sort of ask why a lot of the models in mainstream science are quite, seem to me to be quite unsatisfactory um, that we don't really understand consciousness yet at all there's a um, lot of things we don't understand. That's the problem. Oh, there's an awful, that's, absolute, that's absolutely right. But I think um, consciousness is one of those things that, um, you know, unlike the paranormal, which is generally ignored within the, main, the mainstream, um, consciousness is, there are lots of people working on it, and there are a lot of people convinced that they're going, we're going to sort of do a brain scan and finally understand it all, possibly quite soon. And um, I think that's underestimating the problem. I think consciousness is, is a big one. And I must say that a lot of the times when I think about it, I end up running into huge brick walls. So, uh, you know, but it's kind of, it's fun to think about and uh, it fills up book space. Like it says. <laughs> With, um, too much away on the book, you said that one of sure. the chapters is on uh, parapsychology. Um, so what kind of para paranormal elements do you discuss in there that interact with consciousness studies? Sure. Um, 
it's funny while I was writing the book I sort of had a big debate debate with myself on whether to include the paranormal because a lot of it's just on it's just three long on consciousness and um, and uh, philosophy and last year I went along to a very interesting study day on consciousness and one of my very good friends was giving a talk on on parapsychology and she said that we do ourselves dis a disservice if if we ignore um, things like the paranormal, like stigmata and and uh, the telepathy experiments and things. Um, I think it's really important in the sort of paranormal ghetto. I think we quite often forget just how controversial um, our subject is within mainstream science. I mean, I have a number of sort of colleagues and ex-colleagues and. Um, in, within the mainstream and talking to them, it's sort of, you, you know, you realise that, that particularly nowadays, um, you're really going out on a limb if you even mention the paranormal in anything except a sort of very sceptical way. And I think mm. it's actually worse in the last 10 years. I have to say, I, I'm not going to guess why that's happened, but I, I think um, it's got a lot more difficult to discuss paranormal phenomena within mainstream science in the last 10, 10 years. Do you think it's because the paranormal is so much in the forefront now? We have so many amateurs running around uh, investigating and doing experiments, and because they aren't academics, it's looked down upon to figure, and if they can do it, therefore it, there's no real... Uh, you know, academic, uh, you know, what's the word, look, value to it? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hesitate. It's, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what's happened. I, I think, unfortunately, the paranormal's, what's happened, what's, oh, you know, there's a, basically a whole hornet's nest there. But I think what's happened is the mainstream has gradually got narrower. And I think also that there's been an, an upsurge in um, people who are sort of arguing for rationalism and for science. And quite often um, people who support the paranormal are, are perceived wrongly as being mm. anti-science or, you know, irrational in some way. And I think... I think um, for one reason and another, the sort of voices who sort of say, you know, people, anyone who studies this sort of thing is obviously irrational or a, or a charlatan. They've mm. got louder. And, and unfortunately, the people who are trying to do the serious research, our voices are sort of not as loud as theirs for one reason or another. I, I think also there, it, it's not an easy field. Uh, with experiment experiments, for example, it's really, oh, yeah. you know, the replication. People trying to re replicate uh, these effects. It, it is hard work, and um, I think the results overall are, are quite interesting. But from the point of view of someone who's who's uncommitted, I think a lot of the the jury's out on a lot of it still, mm. and. Um, so I think that's another reason. But I think you're right. I mean, there's a pinpoint it really. There's a lot of people that 
present this sort of arrogant attitude that if you're involved in such research, that you're obviously a big believer and your data is going to be absolutely rubbish because you're swaying everything towards what you're wanting to find in your study. And it, it's shocking that the finger's always pointed at the kind of paranormal area that's studied within, within whatever discipline's trying to approach it, not just psychology, but sociology, philosophy, and any of the other social sciences. And, you know, you can quite easily point the finger at many mainstream studies that are actually getting very bizarre data, and you could question whether they're actually doing stuff reliably. But the paranormal is a very easy one to kind of pick on and bully, really, and when there's a lot of data to show that the studies are being done very well and with the best kind of research methods applied to it. But um, people don't want to hear that, especially people that aren't involved in it. They come with this very... Um, sort of very stereotypical view of what the researchers will be like and how they think and act. No, it's it's gotten. I agree with you, Cal. I think it's gotten very difficult to discuss this subject in a sort of even-handed way. And it's great that there are venues for that. And I think mm. um, one of the reasons. But I think what happens when mainstream science sort of turns its back is that the field opens for, for amateurs and I think that has some really great aspects to it um, because amateurs are able to be a lot more adventurous than, than professionals but at the mm. same time um, it's harder to get the kind of really good quality evidence because I'm, I'm not I really don't want to sell because there are lots of really great people ghost hunters and all sorts of you know who do who do good work but also i think not everyone who sort of sets themselves up as a ghost hunter has you know not not necessarily academic training but um they you basically the, the standards are a lot more variable yeah do you think well, that's fair am i being fair? Yeah, yeah. I, Harry Price. No, I think you are because i mean when you think about it especially i mean for instance let's let's look at the ghost hunters you know they're like the gods of paranormal in the united states and yeah. and they were plumbers by trade when the when the show started but yet because they used instruments and they use they look for logical explanations they were thought as scientific but in, in reality if you look at the true term of scientific they're, they're not really yeah i mean I think it's quite possible to do to do good work, but it takes skill and it does take knowledge. And it, it, I think it's very useful for amateurs to try and forge links with academics as well, because I mean, for all the, their faults, academics, uh, well, some academics have have special skills like, uh, and you know that things like statistics and, right, and being able to weed out the more obvious problems and. You know, it's very useful to be interconnected. But, I mean, um, there are plenty of other sort of more mainstream fields, like astronomy, for example, has a very active amateur section. Quite a few amateurs have discovered new comets and um, novae and things like that, and, and they have a very healthy relationship with, um, with professional astronomers. And I think it would be nice to see more of that, that kind of cooperation in parapsychology. There's actually two things. The one thing about you mentioned about astronomy is, of course, that you're dealing about physical objects and uh, things that you can measure and count, and versus the paranormal, which are we we don't even even 
understand to tell you the truth you know what is a spirit what is a ghost what is you know what is this or that we i mean so it's a lot more difficult to to uh to study uh the other thing yeah yeah it would be great to i mean the good thing about academics is they do publish their work so it's it's open to scrutiny and a lot of these paranormal investigators uh you know, don't really do that. Uh, you know, they, they'll take a bunch of pictures, maybe, and throw it on a line. Uh, on, but that's about it. I mean, there's no, you know, not a lot of real good research into the paranormal. Let me just clarify something there. I've come across um, kind of very heated debates before when I've actually spoken to some of the amateur ghost hunters or researchers, more so of EVP, and they've been very negative towards. Um, societies such as the Society for Psychical Research or the the Parapsychological Association believing that these academic bodies are just going to look down on any of the amateurs and that really isn't true. There's a lot of members of these bodies that um, have a very much a sort of amateur background but they've read the subject and they've got involved and they've studied it. You don't need the qualification to actually go in it. If you've taken the time to actually do just as much study as the academics, the academics are recognised by their qualifications as being a professional to apply that discipline to whatever job they go and do. Um, but there's loads of people, as I mentioned before, there was Harry Price and then you've got the the Enfield Portergeist researchers, Morris Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair. They they had no formal qualifications in parapsychology, but they're well known for their studies. And um, there are several other people. And some of these um, ghost hunters have come to me and said, oh, you know, we don't like to talk about the SPR or even talk to members because they hide their research or they don't like to share it with us. And that really isn't true. I mean, for anyone that's been thinking about joining such bodies, I would wholeheartedly um, encourage you to go and do it because that there's a vast amount of research there that you can get your hands on and it might even help your own investigations into hauntings and paranormal investigation by actually having access to what people have done before the amateurs and the professionals to actually see where they've gone wrong what things they've tried and you might even discover something just from reading one paper and thinking hey you know i could get something here because i've been doing this for so long and i think this paper here is you know it's got some good links to what i've been doing i think i can actually advance this a bit further these bodies aren't secret societies and it's not only certain people can join this club it's anybody Mm -hmm. but as matthew said earlier is that um even the the scientific community is looked looks down upon paranormal researchers. So I imagine if you you have a few of these groups like uh, the one you just said, which I can't remember. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, that you can see why they uh, they would be hesitant to join or even get involved with it. I mean, and are these group groups? open-minded enough to look at it from a different point of view other than just whatever particular angle they're looking at uh, the, the society for psychical researchers um got a view uh they publish it in the front it's right here as well and it's declared to anyone that joins it says the society for psychical research was founded in 1882 to examine without prejudice or pre-possession sorry that's that wrong and in a scientific Spirits, those faculties of man, real or supposed, which appear to be inexplicable on any general recognized hypothesis. In keeping with the most scientific bodies, the society holds no corporate views, and any opinions expressed in this journal or the society's other publications are those of the authors alone. However, for over a century, the society has published an impressive body of evidence for the existence of such faculties 
and the occurrence of paranormal phenomena. So anybody, you know, it, it's the author's opinion, it's what the author's gone away, it's what they've researched, and these are their fa- uh, findings. It just means that if you publish them within that, it means everyone else has got access to it. So they can talk to the researchers, find out what they did, and maybe take the research further, or just question them on it, and you know, find out what they're, they're trying to get at. It, it's sharing and trying to help each other along with the research. Matthew, do you, do you belong to this group as well? Um, the Society for Psychic Research, yeah, like I said, I joined in 1998. Um, okay. They're a really, I mean, you know, obviously I'm horribly biased, but I'll put it this <laughs> way. The only reason why I, I know a good percentage of the um, parapsychologists working in the UK mm-hmm. and, and a few elsewhere is because I joined the SPR. Um, and they're very, it's a very friendly, it's, it's a very good place for people to meet mm-hmm. up. Um, and I think there is a lot of openness to um, amateurs getting involved, and um, not only that, that um, they do study days and lectures that people can come along to. Uh, we're just off to a conference this weekend mm. in Edinburgh. Yeah. And, um, you know, as far as if you're a paranormal investigator, I think... I, you know, I can't think of a better group to join. I mean, that, I'm not saying it should be the only group you join, but if you, especially if you're in the UK, I think you can't afford not to be a member. I mean, um, I was looking at the um, sort of talks that are coming up, and it usually is a, a vast body of academic work, but it does welcome these groups that want to come in and probably present their research. I mean, I know one of the talks that's going to happen this weekend is a talk on psychic artwork from a person who is a psychic artist. So they've done their reading, they've done their research, and they've put it together, and they want to present it to, um, you know, the society to actually see what everyone's opinions are. No, no one will point fingers or make them feel embarrassed. Anything that's presented is very much welcome, and then people try to give constructive criticism if there is anything to criticise. So they won't get any pants remarks? (laughs) They won't. (laughs) No, they won't get pants from us. Uh, no, I don't know. It, it's pretty unconfrontational, actually. It's funny because um, there have been a couple of... I went to one that was not not run by the SPR, um, that was um, a mixture of, you know, um, sceptics and, and people who aren't sceptics. And um, there were a couple of you know, shouty people at that one, but, but most of the SBR ones I've done. Um, oh, it's amazing. You should watch them when they get going. I mean, it's, it's quite... Morris Gross, he, bless him. Um, he, he was brilliant. I heard so many good stories of him, but he was such a lovely guy apparently afterwards. But if, if he got something that he wasn't sure about, he'd stand up and kind of directly ask a question. But Morris Gross, he's a guy that's not one of the, the academics, Morris was an inventor, and he went along, and if he didn't agree with something, he stood up and spoke his mind as an amateur ghost hunter. And he, he could make some some of the professionals feel very intimidated. <laughs> so, um, But it, it was all very lighthearted at the end of the day. You know, everyone appreciated what everyone else was doing, and still well, do. I mean, the, the other thing is that um, I, you know, I think it's funny because... Um, I, I joined in 98, which is a scary amount of time time ago now. And, and at that time, there are quite a few people uh, in the SPR who, who are still alive, who have unfortunately now passed on. 
and um, I just feel privileged to, to have known a lot of of, of them, and and um, you know to be have access to that sort of experience that people people who've been researching in the field for decades and decades, mm. and I think that's you know you feel quite privileged when you talk to uh, to to a member who's who's had that sort of experience. It, it seems quite geeky when you kind of mention it to people that aren't familiar with parapsychology, the sort of people that you do know have worked in it for a while and written books on the paranormal, the, the kind of academic-based ones, because I always feel so privileged every time we go to Professor Alan Gold's house and um, sitting and talking to him, but to anyone else they wouldn't kind of really get it, but I'm always over the moon to actually go and speak to him because I've, I've read his books and... You, you kind of keep on thinking of the book in your head, and this is the person who wrote them, but quite a while ago, and they were brilliant books. And uh, it, it's brilliant when you actually go and interact with some of these members that have been within the society for years, and you know of their past research, and the fact that a lot of it still stands to this day, and they, they've made a, a very specific impact um, that everyone's aware of, and probably often references in current-day paranormal research. Right. Uh, I know we're running out of time, but and I do want. I have a book out, of course, uh, called Ghost a Day, which is just light reading. But there are two cases on here that I'd like Matthew to uh, comment on. Uh, one of them uh, happened okay. in uh, June 22nd in 1893, and uh, according to uh, the information, is the HMS Victoria was the flagship of. Uh, Admiral uh, George Tyron, and it was in off of Lebanon. And uh, basically, uh, to make I gotta make this quick, it went down uh, in an accident, and a young uh, fellow died in the uh, thing. Well, at the same time, his mother in England uh, was visited visited by a spirit uh, of her son. And when the uh, the guy from the Admiralty came over to, to tell her that her son had died, uh, it was the same time that she had seen the spirit. So th there's one, and the, I mean that was a quick synopsis. And the other one uh, happened in, in uh, March 1878, and it's about the oh god I can never say this HMS. E U R Y D I C E or Durice or something. <laughs> According to the the BBC, uh, the Bishop of Ripon, Sir John Conwell, and Sir John McNeil were having dinner in Windsor, uh, Windsor, and all of a sudden the bishop stood up and said, "Good heavens, if they don't close their porthouse and the the reef, the sails, uh, they're going to go down." And basically, what he saw was the ship going through the the channel and uh, they had their portals portals open and it capsized so this was uh, um, two separate incidents but I, what, what's your comments on them? i mean is there any what what are your thoughts about oh, that's the best way of saying it just what what are your thoughts on those two um the first the first thing i'd say is that I, I mean, they're interesting accounts, but um, without the, you know, without knowing their source and where they came from, oh. it's quite difficult to sort of pronounce on, on their truth. Well, you know what? It's it's not. See, see, that's 
that's one of the problems I have with, with Cal and everything is right, sometimes sure. you, you have to accept things for face value. All right, this is an account. It doesn't really matter if it was true or not. It, it's just your thought on the particular account that this people person gives. I mean, you, you don't have right. to, you know, cast aspersions upon <clears throat> the account itself, but no, take no. account for what it's worth and comment on it. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. Um, as far as the Admiral Terrain one's concerned, I think that was. I think there's something dubious about that. I think it's a story rather than an actual factual. Okay. But I'm not sure. Okay. Um, you've got to be a little bit careful. I mean, I, I don't mean that this in in a. Well, I'll put it this way. I mean, there are a couple <clears throat> of the stories that I took the gospel when I was a kid. Um, I turned out to be. Um, fabric, outright fabrications. I mean, there's there's one where um, this famous duke had a, a vision of a bloke carrying a coffin. And a few years later, he, um, you know, it's the usual thing. Mm -hmm. He um, saw this same person as a, a bellhop in an elevator that he was about to step into, and he, he was so shocked he didn't get into the elevator. Which the door closes, the elevator crashes to the floor, and everyone's killed. And when I was, uh, I saw that in several ghost story books, and that turns out to be a fiction. Urban legend. That well, um, I think it was actually a, a deliberate fabrication by um, I can't remember his name, but there was a bloke who told several of these sort of stories, um, and that that's sort of what I what I mean. It, it's important to know where the the stories come from. As right. far as actual events themselves, what I can say is that there are. Quite a few spontaneous cases. Oh, okay, so quite a few spontaneous cases where um, very similar things seem to have happened. So if you can find similar stories that are well attested, then I think that's you know that makes them more convincing or, or evidential, whatever you'd like to, to call it. <laughs> well, we actually ran out of time, and I'm sorry. I actually wanted to get that's into right. the what, what, Cal? Um, Matt, you may as well um, tell us about your blog as well, if you could you uh, give um, anyone listening what the web address is for that. Sure, sure. It's um, it's called Matt on Consciousness. It's all one word, Matt on Consciousness, uh, at blogspot.com. Matthew, you want to thank you so much, Cal. Thank you so much. I do want to mention one thing. On September 10th, we are doing a ghost hunt cruise. We'll actually be doing experiments aboard a boat. And try to contact spirits from different haunted locations, including sunken ships. So, good night and God bless. Bye bye. Thanks very much. From ghoulies to ghosties, long legged beasties, and things that go bump in the night. I have to create a new sensation.